The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Send, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about writing dark stuff. Topics that involve wars, death, assaults, and all those very nice things that often give rise to trigger warnings. We discuss why writers are drawn to tackling these issues, the cathartic experience of writing and or reading through trauma, and the boundaries we may set for ourselves when we write our stories. We also touch on trigger warnings themselves, when and how to use them, and on the ethics of writing in the darker corners of storytelling. While we do not discuss anything that is explicit, this episode obviously contains discussions of certain sensitive topics, so if you do not wish to listen to this episode, please don't hesitate to pass. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. I'm with Lani today, which is unusual for us these days because <laughs> we've recorded so many guest interviews, but that's been great. Uh, it's just that I've been busy, so we haven't had the opportunity to record in a while. But how are you, Lani? What's been up? Um, I am counting down the, the days until March break because I'm going on vacation in March. So Uh, Really excited for that. And also really pleased to have finished a new work and published it on Valentine's Day, just as I planned. So um, I had a little one shot planned and I promised that I'd put it out on Valentine's Day when I wasn't finished it yet. And I managed to get it done in time. And uh, that's called Lilac Falls. It's always such a good thing when you're you're trying to get something out, like for a deadline, and then you actually make it. <laughs> yes, for sure. I had the same thing happen to me when I released the Fulton Fulton Manufacturing when I really wanted it to be ready for St. Patrick's Day. And then it was mm-hmm. and I was like, yes, mm-hmm. so many self imposed deadlines get missed. That when you meet one, it feels really good. <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah, I published a little thing as well, which was a bit silly and a bit fun. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a uh, Harry OC fic in the Potter fandom about uh, the Sheila <laughs> crazy a crazy Tumblr post uh, by a friend and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's lovely. Like it's funny how many people have like read this. I was like, no one's going to read this, <laughs> but actually, a lot of people seem to get on that train as well. So the Harry Sheila the uh, ship is alive. I have created it. It's extra funny to me because. When I was a kid, my piano teacher was named Sheila, and she was a woman in her 80s who was like an Orthodox Jewish woman with many grandchildren. (laughs) So like, that's my mental image of a person named Sheila as like an 85-year-old woman. Yeah, but that's what was kind of funny about writing that story is, you know, it was obviously, the post itself was obviously being silly with like, what if Harry and his wife, his random wife, Sheila, showed up uh, at King's Cross? Like after all that character development in yeah. the seven books. <laughs> and then uh, Incalculable Power, like her name is Sheila and they met at work. And I was like, here is me hopping on that bandwagon and I will tell, I will sell Sheila to you. That, that would... That- <laughs> People would have been, I mean, people are mad enough about the epilogue, but that just... That would have upset some people. Yes, I think. Uh, I think so as well. So anyway, earlier this week, we did a poll on Tumblr, because now we can do polls, which is great, uh, asking our listeners what they would like us to cover in our next episode. And it seems that, like us, our listeners are lovers of angst and dark stuff, because the one that won was writing dark stuff. Um, So that is what we are going to talk about today. We are going to venture into the dark and perhaps ugly corners of fanfiction and and we're going to talk about the art of covering dark topics and all things a bit grim. So Lani, I guess the first question that I can ask you on this is, why do we think that we writers want to write about dark topics and dark stuff and what makes it appealing? Well, I can't answer for everybody, but I will say for me that I don't really see myself as somebody who wants to write dark stories. I'm just somebody who wants to write stories and... I'll cover a pretty wide range of uh, sort of themes from very lighthearted and sweet to very dark. So for me, it's like using a full spectrum of colors if you're a painter. 
um, and not just sticking to one color. And sometimes some of those colors are black. So <laughs> um, I don't like this. I don't like to write the same thing every time. So very often I'll switch up from like dark to light to dark to light. Mm-hmm. I think I would say I'm a little bit more deliberate about it in the way that I think if you were to ask me what genre of fan fiction do you write? I would say I write angst. Like that would be that would be my my initial like gut reaction would be that. Um I do write lighter moments in within my stories and I think I do have some stories which most of my stories have happy endings and 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 most mm-hmm. of my stories are about kind of overcoming the dark stuff but I do think I do write a lot and a, a little bit more intentionally about about darker things because I think for me it's just just where I'm interested in exploring I I love writing lighter moments mm-hmm. for fun and and the Sheila thing for instance was one of the the, probably the most fun I've had writing in a really long time because it was just silly and it was just funny and it was it was a great thing but even that has darker moments in it you know even that has um Sheila's mom got shot when she was a kid like <laughs> so there's always I think there's always that kind of grim uh draw to it and I think for me it's just what I'm interested in I'm interested Mm -hmm. in not the dark necessarily but more the complicated um I think I'm interested in complicated spaces and so I think Mm -hmm. that's where that's kind of where I gravitate I'm I'm kind of like I will follow where I'm led by that thing in my mind that just seems to to, uh, come up with the story. Like as I'm writing, even if I have an outline, things will happen that are surprising to me that I didn't plan for. And I think again, like there's always, there's always some sweetness, even in dark stuff. And there's also usually some, something a little bit dark in the sweet stuff. So like the story that I wrote um, for Valentine's Day, overall, I wanted it to be very sweet and romantic and kind of different from other things that I've written. I wanted to experiment with really saying like, this is a romance story. But there's still some parts mm-hmm. of it that as I've written and reread certain sentences, I was like, wow, that's that's really sad. But I think that's kind of who I am as it, it does come into everything. It always shows up like even um, my story, Check the Spindle which includes a lot of like girl guides and arts and crafts and like pony stickers and rainbows and butterflies. There's also a lot of like really sad stuff, like like institutionalized mentally ill women and like mill workers who have been laid off. And the story becomes darker as you continue to read it. I don't want to give anything away, but I am planning on returning to it. And I'm, I'm hoping that my next chapter that I publish will be Check the Spindle. So I think, again, it's, it's contrast um, and you need a little bit of both. Like you, you won't really see a story until you see the contrast between the emotional highs and lows. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Like I'm not. I've never really been interested in writing something that is entirely dark either. Um, mm-hmm. And I know some people are interested in that, and that's great. Um, I personally, I'm not really interested in just writing something that is grim from the beginning to the end. <laughs> um, it's yeah, like I, I like a little bit of balance, and I think I think that's where I gravitate as well. Um, so yeah, definitely. So um, we wanted to go on and talk a little bit about some of the questions that listeners were asking us, submitting into our ask box, um, and we always want to thank people who are submitting questions ahead of episodes and telling us what they'd like to hear about. So this is uh, a message from an anonymous person um, who says, I'm really looking forward to hearing the podcast about writing dark topics. I'm a survivor of multiple complex traumas myself, and in some ways it sounds silly, but actually it isn't. I literally begun writing Harry Potter fanfic as a way to engage with my own trauma history, and this sort of narrative therapy has been an exceptionally healing thing. I think telling stories is one of the main ways people make sense of things. How excellent that you're taking time to unpack this kind of storytelling. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) Um, I'm glad, I'm glad that you appreciate uh, the topic that we've chosen. Um, We were, it's funny because when I did the poll, I was like, I really don't know what's going to win. And then, and then this one started, there was this one and the political topics as well, which uh, kind of arose uh, the most in the poll. So yeah, no, it's great. I think it's great that we talk about that. And I think it's great that 
um, you know, we, that is something that we can talk about with fan fiction. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to say about this ask, which wasn't really a question, but more of a statement, is... I think it's a very interesting point and I'm not, I I want to disclaim from the get-go that I'm not saying anything, I'm not denying this person's experience and I'm not dismissing that. I mean, if you are writing to work through your own trauma or if you're reading to work through your own trauma, uh, that's, you know, that makes sense to me. And I think a lot of people do that. And that's a very valid thing to do. What I do want to talk about is I think because this is the reality for some people, I think it is generally viewed by readers, especially people, other people who don't write as like this universal experience. Like, If the writer is writing about this particular dark thing, it means that the writer must have experienced this exact thing and are working through their own trauma. And I just want to state that that's not automatic. (laughs) That's not necessarily true or it's not necessarily true in that sense. Mm -hmm. I think most writers write stories that have a relation to them, whether it is conscious or unconscious, but I think there's always a a little bit of us in our stories. But I don't think you should assume that um, just because a writer is writing about a particular topic, that means that, you know, they have experienced that. And I think this is definitely the case with some readers who tend to expect that. And I know that's one of the reasons, for instance, where I don't really like to share my writing with people who know me IRL because I know that they will assume they will be like are you okay did this happen to you (laughs) it's like no it did not like that is it's a story it's a fictional story and I think whilst yes there is some elements that are taken from real life sometimes the relationship is incredibly tangential and especially for my stories for instance castles I, I realize, first of all, sometimes you don't know what a story is about as you're reading it, like about your real life. You're, you're just writing something, but you haven't really identified what it's about for you. Uh, but I know that for Castles, for instance, Castles has to do with my work. Castles has nothing to do with what is actually happening in that story. Um, Castles is something that I... The, the feelings that I am trying to work through in castles are feelings that I have towards my professional life. <laughs> so it's very tangential at best. And if you didn't know that, you wouldn't be able to, see, you wouldn't be able to see it. So I think that's something to keep in mind that whilst it may be related, it might not be. And I think that this kind of assumption as well, kind of feeds into that very toxic trend. Well, I find it toxic of like forcing artists, wanting to force artists to only write about the very specific write or film or whatever, the very specific experiences that they have had versus, you know, being able to explore things that you may not have lived through exactly, but have feelings where you can relate and empathize with that situation. And I think, you know, we've seen people writing, you know, writing certain stories and then having to come out about having or not having these certain experiences because they get bullied on the internet about, you know, oh, you must have experienced this to write about it. And I think that's kind of toxic. And I think it does come from that assumption that you must absolutely write and and write through your own trauma, which is not necessarily the case. Yeah, I definitely think this is something that's been discussed, not just in the world of fan fiction, but also like in the world of art in general, this assumption that every piece of art is true and autobiographical. And also that people don't have the right to tell a story if it's not kind of autobiographical. And I think we, yeah. we come down on the same side of this and say, firstly, like, mind your business. Uh, People don't have to say if they're gay. They don't have to say if they have trauma. They don't have to say if they've been raped. People want to talk about themselves. That's fine. But stop pressuring people into saying it. Also, not everybody is the thing that their character is because it's fiction. But I would say, like, definitely, I think writing dark topics can be a way of working through emotions that you have in your life while the actual aspects of the literal story are different. 
So I know that in my writing, there are specific emotions that really are kind of autobiographical, even as the the context and narrative is completely different than my own life. Um, so for example, in Merry Men, one of the major sort of struggles in the story is like feeling very alone and wanting to make friends, but also not wanting to become emotionally attached to anybody when you know you might lose them immediately and then kind of trying to say like the absolute impossibility of like making really good connections while at the same time stealing yourself against loss all the time and that's that's part of the story and for me you know I'm not in a war zone thankfully but this is sometimes how I feel a little bit about like the dating world is like how do you even make yourself willing to make connections with other people while also always stealing yourself against the possibility of 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 loss and, and rejection. And it just, um, so there's like a certain emotion that it then gets processed into a completely different context and narrative, but there's something about it that, that feels relatable to me. And this can also be with friendship too. I mean, any kind of relationship can involve rejection or loss. And I, and so I think that can be relatable, even if you haven't literally gone through some of the atrocious stuff that, that actually happens in the story. I, I would say that I think people come to stories for different reasons. The things in my stories that are most likely to be autobiographical are like tiny details rather than um, main, like I would never have a whole character based on someone that I know or a whole storyline based on something that happened to me. But for example, in Check the Spindle, I described the girls having matching outfits. And that was inspired by like a photo of my mother and my aunt that I saw that was taken in like 1965, where they're wearing matching dresses. And -hmm. it's like the same kind of age difference and time period. And so that little matching matching dresses thing like that Lily and Petunia are wearing like that is taken from my real life, but it's it's a tiny detail, you know? It's not, like, the whole story. Yeah, no, I definitely operate on the same thing. Like, as I said, Castles is about my own feelings, but it's about my own feelings about a situation that has nothing to do <laughs> with the actual plot or characters of the story. And I do, I think I do take small details or, like, background details from my own life. Or also just sometimes personalities or characters or you know character traits or things that you've seen in someone that you're like oh that's kind of interesting but I would mm-hmm. same thing I would never base it on a, an entire character on an entire person that mm-hmm. I know it would be more an element of personality or an element of the way this person dresses or you know that kind of thing and um, I wanted to kind of ask you in terms of writing dark topics because I think that's kind of a question that people might have is how do you decide Mm -hmm. what dark topics you're going to cover from like a personal standpoint and how do you decide on that topic and and decide on your own boundaries in terms of exploring certain things um yeah so I think that um before I wrote Merry Men I never worried about this I just wrote where my thoughts took me and I didn't really set any kind of boundaries for myself because I wasn't writing anything that was getting close to my area of like really strong discomfort. Then in Merry Men, I started to be like, how is this going to work? Because the Vietnam War is like, it's so messed up. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's so, the more you learn, the more you know kind of thing. So there there came a point where I was like, some some things are getting ruled out here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I can tell you there's plenty of stuff that would like occur to me and go into my head, but I'm not writing it down. So I, I guess it ended up being for me kind of like, um, if you carved a scu- sculpture out of marble, then first you take off everything that you don't want. And what's left is the stuff that ends up being the work of art. So I kind of ruled out everything that I didn't want in the story mm-hmm. And that was actually really useful to me in leaving what I did want. So, you know, there were things where it's like maybe in a different world uh, where people don't go after writers with pitchforks, there were certain scenes I would be willing to write, but not in this world. And then there were other things where it's like, Mm -hmm. even if no one came after me with pitchforks, I don't want to write this. So I think for me, Ultimately, what I decided was that the story needs to be, you know, it's told from the perspective of the characters, but ultimately it reflects my vision and understanding of war. And when I write from that, from that real life perspective of my, my understanding and my 
the way I view war, I think it will show through in the story in the way that I talk about characters and the way that I talk about these dark topics. So this kind this is um, starting to get into ideas that we're going to address later in this episode, like glorification of war. So I don't want to give too much away about that right now. But I'll say that I had to kind of like think to myself, this, this, this gets even hard to talk about, but like, how am I going to write about like, you know, Vietnamese peasants or th- things like that? And then kind of the stuff that I didn't want to write about, um, I was able to mm-hmm. situate the story in a way where maybe I wouldn't need to cover certain things. And specifically, like, when I chose, like, the geographic location in which the story is set within Vietnam, Mm -hmm. it was, like, first I made a list of what I wanted from a location for the story, what I wanted and didn't want. And then I looked realistically at different areas and found the one that best matched what I wanted for the story. So, for example, I wanted mountains and and I wanted it to be... um, very far away from like peasant villages and farms because I just I was like I'm not writing some of that horrible stuff that you see with like um, be lie like I'm just I'm not doing that so I definitely that informed my my choice to set the story in um Kontum, which is in uh, uh western Vietnam which is kind of a more like a um wild mountainous region and and not as much of like a well-populated region. It also reflected some other aspects of the story that I needed, but that was like part of that decision. When it comes to like the scenes that involve physical violence, I think the way I did it was that it really doesn't read like a movie. It reads like Mm -hmm. how it would feel if you were in it in real life. So we know that in a movie, you know what's going on because you can see it happening but you're not really experiencing it yourself. Whereas the way I write it, you don't really know what's going on beyond the sensory boundaries of the character that you're in. And a lot of the time, like they don't know what's going on because they can't see their stuff in their eyes or like an explosion goes off, their ears are ringing, they can't hear. So I use a lot of um, similes and metaphors to make certain things relatable because of course, you know, we, we haven't actually experienced this. So if I just said I felt not I, it's not a first person story. But if I just said, you know, he felt the explosion go off, then it's like, but what does that even feel like if you're a normal person who's never been in a war and you've never felt an explosion go off? Like that doesn't, that doesn't really mean anything if you don't have that experience. So instead, I I use a lot of similes that relate to things that would be um, understandable to those of us who haven't been in that situation. And obviously, like, a lot of this is imagination because I've never experienced it myself. But I think that I try to limit the very graphic depictions of sort of blood and guts. And when I do do it, it's for a specific emotional moment that I need at that time. And it's not, you know, all over the place all of the time. Mm, Yeah, I definitely agree and sort of relate to the point that you're making about it being for the sake of the story. I think a lot, what a lot of people complain about, at least on the internet, like when I look at Reddit or whatever, is kind of this sort of trauma porn stories where it's literally just blood and guts and, you know, or or whatever traumatic thing is happening, but without necessarily it having a point or it having, you know, any sort of relationship with the story. Like sometimes it's just gory details for the sake of gory details. Um, I don't, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I can... I mean, I can think of a number of movie uh, directors who just like gore for the sake of gore. So I don't think I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it is not what I tend to gravitate towards. But I've never written something like you have, like a real sort of war or something. So for me, I've never, to be honest, I've never really had to ask myself the question of boundaries. I just kind of tend to write whatever I feel is necessary to the story and whatever I want to explore as a theme. I've never really sat in and been like, oh, should I be writing this? Uh, Maybe this is overconfidence or something. I don't know. But it's never something that I've thought about. The only boundary that I have found I have is I... So this is a very, very specific example. But in Castles, there's an OC called Mia. And out of everything that makes her and her personality and her circumstances, there is one thing 
one very mm-hmm. small detail that I took that is similar-ish, not really, not entirely similar, but similar-ish to something that happened to me, like to some something in someone from my own life. And I have a whole story about in my head about what happens to Mia after her part of in castles is served, like after basically her and Harry uh, break up and she goes off to Paris. Um, I have a whole story about what happened to her, but that is not a story that I will write because that mm-hmm. story features that one character who I based kind of on something that is familiar to me mm-hmm. and I don't feel comfortable because it's kind of too close to home in a way. I think that's my only boundary and, and you know, to not want to be writing about something something that is personal in that way and so that is more of my boundary but it's got nothing to do with trauma or anything dark or it being too dark or whatever it's not even dark but it's just one element of her story that I don't feel comfortable writing because it's too close to home uh but yeah um so Joe, I wanted to ask um you know I think maybe we'll overlap on this maybe we won't but you know let's talk about our view on trigger warnings so should they be used how often do they have to be used? Do we owe it to readers? Can people be upset if something isn't properly trigger warned? Like, what are what are your views on that on that topic? Oh my god, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's three there's three main things. Um, I feel like the first one is you cannot possibly, as a reader, you cannot possibly expect a writer to trigger wound everything by which i mean let's say for instance that you got hit once in the face with like a red teapot and since then you have trauma associated with red teapots you cannot put that is so specific that you cannot possibly expect a writer to trigger warn the presence of red teapots like that is that is to me that makes no sense and i think there are a number of people who kind of expect that and i think to me, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, you cannot possibly expect a writer to trigger on anything. Now, in this case, there is a broader kind of trigger warning that would be assault, for instance. And that is something that you may expect to be trigger warned because it's broad enough that it would be something that would be possibly a trigger to a number of people that aren't you. Uh, but I think if it's something that's very specific to you, it's a bit unfair to expect writers to cater to that. The second thing is, in terms of the broader trigger warnings, like, I don't know, assault, war, violence, torture, whatever, like anything that's like big and and wildly acknowledged Mm -hmm. as being a trigger to a number of people, I think you, as a writer, there is no obligation to trigger warn these things. If you feel like your story would, you know, be harmed by the presence of a trigger warning in a tag, for instance. I know that this is mostly one of the reasons that come about is, oh, but I don't want to spoil this particular part of the story, so I don't want to put it in tags. I don't think there is an obligation for you to do that. Is it you being a dick not to do it? Maybe. Like, I think... You know, I personally, I trigger warn. I'm very diligent about it. And I think not using them is being a little bit of a dick on the internet, which, you know, you, you could potentially have tools to make people's lives easier and, you, and you're choosing not to use them. That's a bit of shitty behavior. But I don't think you are liable and you're forced to do that like if you don't want to do it that's fine but just know that it's a bit shitty but I don't I also strongly believe that we all have a right to be shitty sometimes (laughs) like I also think a lot of people you know there's a lot of um circumstances in life where I don't know you're calling customer service and you're being a dick to them you are being a dick to them but you know you have a right to be addicted to them. So if you feel like your personal interests are trumping the interests of the many, sure, don't use them. But I personally think it's a bit of a dick move not to use them. But again, there's no law against it, and I'm not going to be like, oh my god, these people are horrible. But also, if you are a writer and you choose not to use trigger warnings, don't be upset if people are upset with it. 
like don't be upset if people in your comments are calling you out about it because you have this tool and you chose to not to use it and that is your responsibility and and people are allowed to be annoyed um so i think i think that's also something that you should be expecting the third thing that i will say is however whenever a writer has indeed used trigger warnings and has trigger warned the story well enough you as a reader if you choose to ignore these warnings and still read the story and then still be upset about it in the comments, you brought this upon yourself. Like the number of people who comment on castles yearly being like, upset about something some of the dark themes that i talk about in castles and i'm like this is in the trigger warnings it is tagged everywhere i talk about it everywhere in in the chapters that are a bit heavier i even like include trigger warnings in in the in the author's notes there is literally nothing else i could do to make your life easier so you know you you can't really blame the writer at this stage if you are choosing to ignore it just read the tags leave the writer alone and i know there's this trend right now especially on tumblr to be like there's just certain things that writers should never write about i completely disagree with this like if we don't write about dark things we are one ignoring that they exist and letting them letting the people who commit these bad things off the hook as well by just not talking about it like if i was and, sorry i um i would just want to add that like if we made that rule of you can never write about certain topics beloved by tony morrison that would be one of those books that have to go i mean quite a number of tony morrison books would have to go we would ha- have to get rid of the little red chairs by edna o'brien which is a book that kind of covers like the like the serbian genocide like we you know the, these are works of mainstream literature that we would also have to get rid of if you said well you just can't talk about this yeah no i definitely agree and and you know that's just yeah i don't i just don't think it's a logical argument and and i think we as writers as artists need to be allowed you don't have to talk about right topics you can totally not address that in your work but i don't think it's fair to force people to not write about certain things as long as they warn you about them i don't think i don't think there's anything that's really that really should not be written about personally yeah i i tend to agree that um you can write about anything you want um i think like people also have the right to criticize your writing but i don't think they should get you blocked from like the website um i think when it comes to trigger warnings or content warnings i have mixed views on that i definitely think that if it's going to spoil an aspect of the story I would not put a content warning for that particular thing in that particular place in the story. So I I would use a more general one for the whole story. So for example, I wouldn't say in this chapter, there's going to be a rape because that might be a spoiler. Whereas I would say like this story, like on the first chapter, I would write this story contains sexual violence, but then you don't know where it's coming. So like you're warning people, but you're also not spoiling the story for people who do want to read it. So I, I kind of... I kind of think of that. I know that with with my dark story, I have kind of a blanket warning on the first chapter that's pretty clear that it, it literally says here, um, this work of fiction is intended to be as realistic and authentic to the period and place as possible. In this story, there are scenes of serious graphic and brutal violence, as well as explicit language, including slurs of all types. There is sexual violence, homophobia, racism, and pretty much any other type of violence you can think of. If this story isn't for you, feel free to read something else. Please consider this your trigger warning. So, you know, if somebody has read that and then they're coming to me and saying, you didn't warn me about this chapter, it's like, if you wanted to open my story to a random chapter and not read the beginning, like, I can't stop you from doing that, but you can't come to me and say you didn't warn me, right? I also gave it the highest uh, rating in terms of, you know how there's like a teen, mature, explicit, I gave it like the highest one. And I think that covers a lot because I think aside from trigger warnings, there's also saying like, you know, this story is appropriate for teens. We know there's a certain amount of violence that you can get away with, but not, or a certain amount of sexual content that's appropriate and then maybe not beyond that and there's explicit and there's mature and there's like the g rating which is like appropriate for everyone which some of my stories also have that so i think that does a lot of the work tagging also does the work like if war is a main topic of my story and i have the tag war 
then I don't think I need to say warning, like there will be war in this story because it's like, did you know, it's in the tags. It's in the summary. So like people need to be using their brains a little bit and reading the summary and reading the tags because that tends to contain a lot. Look at the rating. If the rating says mature or explicit, you know, it might be that it's just sexual content or it might be violence. So I just, I, I don't like that, you know, like what you said with the red teapot yeah. thing. Again, it's, it's true that like for people with real trauma, they can be triggered by like hearing the song on the radio that happened to be playing at the time that the thing happened. And there's actually nothing bad about that song. It's just that memory association that they have. Yeah. They can be triggered by a green 1972 Chevrolet because that was the car that that person they knew drove. So, like, you cannot possibly warn for those things because nobody could know what someone else's triggers are going to be when it comes to those, like, sensory associations. And that's the reality of trauma. Like, that's why trauma is so bad because it doesn't stick to these topics that are easy to warn about. It attaches itself to perfectly innocent things in your life that are inescapable and unavoidable. Like that's that's the horror of PTSD, yeah. uh, which I think people in Gen Z would do well to read up a little bit more on so that they actually know what that is. So yeah, I think when it comes to, to people complaining in your comments, I would remind you that this is the internet. You can be a kid on the internet, but the internet is not for kids unless you're on like YouTube kids or something. So you can write some story that pisses someone off off and they can leave you a mean comment and both of those things can happen so you know consider your internet usage and the fact that this is not the kind of environment like at school where there's an adult authority in charge who says when somebody is being being mean to you that they have to apologize like there's no there's no mommy figure there so you're online trust me online is a much softer place now than it used to be I mean, like, we talk about, like, should there be trigger yeah. warnings on stories? And I'm like, when I was nine years old and I wanted to find the lyrics to, you know, Dancing in the Street, a 1960s oldie song, and I was a nine-year-old and I looked it up and clicked on lyrics.com, then, like, that song's lyrics would be framed with banner ads of, like, explicit pornography. And, like, nobody was trigger warning for anything and I was nine years old and I didn't even understand what I was seeing pictures of. So... Believe me, the internet is actually a much softer place for people with trauma now than it used to be. And I guess that, you know, having those experiences as, as a kid, it kind of, I guess it makes it harder to, for me to relate to people who came of age like post-trigger warning or whatever, because like when I was in school, they didn't like warn you <laughs> about anything. Like, and also like mental health wasn't invented and nobody cared. So yeah, I I will say, I don't think, I want to clarify that I don't think trigger warnings are a bad thing. Like, I think trigger warnings are great. And I think, and I, I personally, in my stories, try to use them as much as I possibly can. You know, I, I'll think, okay, maybe this topic could be trigger, like trigger warn or whatever. Um, again, I, I'm not saying something like incredibly specific, because as you say, when it's very specific, it's really hard. Like, you can't really expect another person to foresee that but you know things like sexual assault ptsd torture like things like that um is is a very easy thing to trigger warn as a writer either the way you do it if you don't want to spoil the story by putting a blanket sort of disclaimer on top being like this is mm -hmm. this is a mature story this is the themes that i'm t working with please you know check yourself and see if you want to proceed or being a bit more specific if, you know, if you wish to be more specific. I am a bit more specific, uh, but, you know, I don't think, I think both ways are very valid. And I think as long as you warn people, it's great. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like I've had people, and this isn't even related to writing dark stuff, but I've had <laughs> recently, I had someone being upset that in castles uh, Harry and Ginny end up together and I was like this is tagged as Harry and Ginny canon compliant I'm sorry they were they were triggered by that well they weren't triggered but they were mad about it and I was like this is literally in the tags what do you want me to do it is literally in the story is tagged as like canon compliant Harry and Ginny and, and then this person wrote back to me and was like well I don't look at tags and I and I thought about this from a trigger warning. That sure that sure sounds a lot like when parents say to me, "Well, I don't look at Google Classroom." <laughs> and I was just like, 
And I was just like, okay, but th- then there's nothing I can do for you. You know, I have, as the writer, I have done everything I can. And it's the same thing with trigger warnings and things. If as a writer, you've done everything you can, as a reader, you also have to take your own responsibilities. Like for me, I can be very open about this. My father had a gambling problem. And I personally really do not like reading or watching stories that have to do with that. It's just not very enjoyable to me and it's not an enjoyable experience. I am responsible of policing my own experience if I don't want to read that. Like, I am responsible of being like, no, if I read, if I see a fic that has a trigger warning like that, I am responsible to be like, well, I don't want to read that because that that is triggering to me. And and I uh, would also say, Joe, that, you know, not everybody, it won't necessarily occur to them that gambling is something they have to tag or trigger warning for because, like, that probably wouldn't occur to me. But if you see that a story has a setting of, like, a Las Vegas casino, yeah. <laughs> you know, then you using your best judgment or if it says that it's about, I mean, if you start seeing poker and card games like that in the tags, again, it's like you need to be making some inferences yeah. with your own mind. The same way that when I put war in the tags, that is kind of, you can infer that war involves physical violence. Yeah. So I think I think a summary of this for me is treat people with respect if you can warn do if you want to warn do if you don't want to just know that it's a bit shit you're not gonna but also you're not horrible you're not a horrible person but it is better to but also use your brain uh in most circumstances and figure out a way to warn without spoiling your whole story it is possible it It is is possible if you can't think of how to do it ask someone for help yeah 100 percent So here, we wanted to think a little bit about um, what's one thing writers who want to dive into writing dark stuff should know before getting into it? I think uh, this is probably sort of an unusual response, but I I just wanted to bring that up, is um, be prepared. If you're going to write about dark topics, this is something that I totally wasn't prepared for, because I think as a writer, you prepare you know, you work on your story, you prepare your craft, you do your research, you do all the work that you have to do in order to get this right. But you don't necessarily think about the aftermath. And particularly for me, I have had people in my comment section and my ask box on Tumblr tell me things about themselves that are incredibly personal. And I have talked about it in our kind of wrap up episode. Um, I have had comments because I write about certain dark events. I have had people relate to that experience and really relate to the story and thus leave me comments with their own specific personal experiences as they relate to that story. And as a writer, that's like an amazing gift because you're like, oh my God, I have written this thing that like people relate to and sometimes even they tell you it makes them feel better and you're like oh my god I can't believe like this is this this is real and this is my story but also kind of be prepared for the fact that some of these comments are kind of hard to read and you know some of these comments are deep and and if you're gonna write about dark stuff people will write if you if you do it well people will write to you about their own personal experiences and and there has been times where I've been like wow uh I and and you know it is and it is at the same time very rewarding as I say and I, I have nothing against these comments but just like be prepared for the fact that people will relate to your story and will uh, be sometimes very specific in their comments about why they relate to that story and and sometimes it's it's a bit sad you know it's it's good because you know that this story is making an impact but it can also be a bit sad what about you yeah i think that um i haven't had as much of the trauma dumping in the comment section as you have um, I have had people who really identify with a specific character and then leave me comments addressing the story as though it were real life and they're like furious about what happened. And it's a little bit like you understand that this is a story, mm-hmm. right? Like this this is a narrative. It's not 
Like, you're talking to me like these people are real and they're not. I will say that, like, it doesn't always happen on the stories you expect it to happen. Like, you might think that if you write something really R-rated in terms of violence or trauma, that that's where it's going to happen. But I wrote, like, a PG-13 type of story called The Atoners that doesn't really have any, like, violence in it. There's one, like, oblique reference to something that's really lacking in detail but um i got people in my comments section i think this is like a specific characters trigger some certain readers like if you write about severus snape you will get some like people who really identify with him and have like a lot of anger issues and i had people like really getting upset on that story and almost not even at me but at other characters in the story but addressing me as though i am those people mm-hmm. and so yeah you ha- you always have to be ready for like people who take stories really personally rather than looking at them as like works of art that have themes and in which certain things happen in order to relate to certain themes and make certain points like they're just relating to it as though it's real life and not a story but i would say i would have a different thing that is like the one thing you should know before diving into dark stuff is like, you know, I say this about everything, but like do a little bit of research, like know what you're talking about, read, listen to podcasts, like watch documentaries. So just know about the thing you're writing about. I mean, you don't have to, but like your writing will probably be better if you do it, if you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, we wanted to go ahead and um, answer another um, anonymous uh, ask that we got on Tumblr. This one is actually a question. (laughs) Um, Okay, and so the question goes, should you put a disclaimer on your fic to say that you as an author do not condone the violence or dark stuff in the dark fic, or should the readers assume that? Um, Okay, I think you need to rephrase the question there because personally, I don't think it's either something that you should do as in you are forced to do as a writer, but also I don't think it's something that readers should assume. I think in terms of assuming, I think, you know, there are writers out there who glorify violence and dark topics in their fics or in their original works and write it very badly and probably actually do condone those instances of violence and I don't think readers should always assume good intentions like if you're reading a work that is truly awful you don't have to assume oh this person probably meant it well um I think you need to again you know readers should use their brain and and critical thinking and if a fic or an original work is dealing with something in a very insensitive manner you know, you're allowed to um to to assume bad intentions or, or or go with bad intentions. I don't think I don't think you should assume that a person does not condone violence. You should base that assumption on proof and text. In terms of putting a disclaimer, I will say what I think in a like theoretical way and then what I actually do, because those are two different things. I think what I what I think is that you should be at a level in your mind as a writer where you trust your writing to speak for itself and you also trust people to have working brain cells. So <laughs> what I mean by this is, you know, I recently got a comment um, because in my long work castles, uh, Draco Malfoy and Narcissa Malfoy get sort of they do get prison sentences but they're kind of short and i had someone telling me uh that i made excuses for nazis uh, which uh, like from a standpoint from an like objective standpoint is such a ridiculous reading it's and it's also such an inappropriate like (laughs) i'm telling stop stop with the Nazi stuff. Stop. No, it is completely inappropriate. And I said this to this person. I was like, when I responded to that comment, I was like, this is, this is insulting to, to actual Holocaust survivors. But anyway, um, but I think, you know, that is, to me, that is such, when I look at it objectively, that is such an insane reading of Castles that I don't understand how you came to that conclusion. And, you know, if they get short prison sentences, it's one, because I'm canon compliant, two, because I'm a raging socialist and I don't believe in prisons. Like, that is, and that is obvious. 
from the context of castles. Um, but, you know, so don't accuse me of like making excuses for Nazis. That makes no sense. But that is what I would like to think and what I know is objectively rational to think. In actual fact, when I get comments like these, I feel the need to disclaim. And I did, when I did get this comment, I put it on Tumblr. I was like, I cannot believe I have to say this, but me giving Draco a short sentence does not equal to me, um, like condoning Nazism. Um, and, and like, I couldn't believe that I had to say this out loud, but also it did not sit well with me that I, if I didn't do that. Um, so I think ultimately it's a very personal choice. It's, do you, would it make you feel uh, better or worse to disclaim it? I don't think it's a should question. I definitely don't think there's an obligation to do it, but I definitely think if it's something that would make you uncomfortable not to disclaim, and you know, that that to me is a very personal choice and that's very valid as well. Yeah, um, I'm going to answer this question probably uh, more bluntly than you did, Joe. So in response to the question, do you have to put a disclaimer that you don't condone the violence? No. <laughs> no. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> I find that there's no substitute for going to school and going to English class and getting an education in critical media literacy. Okay? My disclaimer cannot replace the minimum 15 years that you should have spent going to school and learning to read. Okay? I can't... Like, this... This is why I have a job where I have to show up and five days a week kids have to sit in my class and go through these things again and again and again, because it actually does matter to learn critical literacy, because being able to sound out words and pronounce them is not the end of learning to read. If you're at this point now where you're a grown adult and you're asking people like me who you don't even know, strangers on the internet, to put a disclaimer on our stories saying, don't literally do the things that you saw in this story... Um, the education system has failed you. I'm sorry. Um, I find this so overwhelmingly um, depressing because I know that there really are people who struggle to understand when they read a work, whether the author is explicitly endorsing the actions of the characters or not. And that is because they have serious gaps in their, in their literacy um, and their critical literacy. And it's it's really sad to me that it's gotten to this point. But I wonder, do you ever feel like, because that is something that I kind of jump to when I think about these things is, I if I get a comment like this, my first thought is, did I do this badly? Did I write this in an unclear manner? Okay, but did Joe, I Joe, this... This is getting back to that trust thing where you said you have to trust yourself as a writer and you have to trust your readers to have brain cells. <laughs> so, like, if you're starting to question yourself and say, did I endorse Nazism? I'm like, where is the trust in yourself? Because I have total trust in myself that I'm not going to accidentally endorse Nazis. Because that's not in my head. It's not in my brain. It's not going to happen, right? I may, and like, generally, I trust my readers to understand stuff without explicitly stating it because um i think if you have to explicitly state everything then that's like direct communication but it's not art mm -hmm. like the reason it's a story and it's art is because you're actually leading a lot of stuff up for the reader to infer rather than directly stating it and like this is something that i teach in school we talked about direct and indirect characterization we're you know, the, the narrator is not always going to say, Draco Malfoy is a mean person. <laughs> They're going to show you through his actions, and then you are going to infer, based on his actions, that he is a mean person. Yeah. Right? And so... This, this is something I'm teaching children. And I mean, like, I when I, when I consider putting a disclaimer on my stories... It's like, you know, what about the scene in Check the Spindle where there's a bunch of nine-year-olds on the playground and one of them is kind of humble bragging about expensive Christmas presents she got that she kind of knows other kids can't afford. Like, do I have to put a disclaimer that like bragging about your presents to other kids who don't have as much of you is also a bad thing and you shouldn't do it? Because on the one hand, it's obviously way less harmful than like starting a war in Southeast Asia. But on the other hand, 
my readers are significantly more likely to humble brag about their presence than to start a war in Southeast Asia because of reading my story. So, no, I'm sorry. No. Yeah, no, I... I I get, I get what you're saying. And that's why I was saying, you know, for me, there's two things. There's what I think in theory and what I do in practice. And I think the what I do in practice and the fact that I do answer these claims and I do try to disclaim where I can. Uh, in fairness, I only do this ex post facto. So it's only, I will only disclaim something if it comes up in my, in my comment section. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think, um, the, the reason for that, and I, I think a lot of writers will, I feel you're very confident in your writing. Um, I am not there yet. And sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes I will get a comment like this and I'm like, did I make this unclear? Was it on me? Could I have written this better? Could I have been more clear in terms of, you know, being able to um, do that story and do that story and write that story in a different way. So I think, you know, I, I understand the urge when you're a writer, especially if you're getting comments about, you know, accusations of you condoning certain things to disclaim it, even though it's not ideal, but I definitely understand because sometimes you will question your own writing. Okay, I am going to just say this. If you're somebody who's read a fan fiction where somebody did something that you consider to be really bad, uh, whether it is humble bragging to other kids who aren't as well off as you or starting a genocide, this is something I have to read to you that I think will help. Okay, make inferences. When you make inferences, you use clues to make a smart guess about something the author doesn't tell you. Clues from the text and pictures and clues from what I already know. You put those together and you make inferences. So for example, a clue from the text would be somebody shooting somebody else with a gun. And a clue from what you already know is that you've probably been raised to hear that murder is wrong. You put those things together and you can infer that the person who did the shooting is being bad. Okay, that's that's how it works. I'm sorry, I have like no patience for this when it comes from adults. I have patience for this from kids. If it comes from adults, I'll say you are reading at a, at a level of maybe you can't be on mature or teen. Maybe you need to go back to G rated. Okay, maybe you're not on this reading level. If you can't make inferences, maybe the story is too hard for you. But if you come at me accusing me of being a Nazi, that's just a block. <laughs> Or it's going to be a link to a child's worksheet on making inferences. Actually, probably not a block, probably a link to a worksheet. <laughs> no, I think that's fair enough. And I think ultimately it is the right reaction. It's just that for me, but I think that's like a different thing. It's a confidence thing where, you know, if I get criticism, my first thought is this person is right. So I will question myself and I will disclaim. But again, I don't think you have to disclaim. Um, the last question that we got was, um, how do you write dark, dark stuff that is accurate without glorifying it? And I was wondering what your point of view is because I don't, I couldn't really put those together. So I was wondering what your point of view is. Um, I think glorification is is um, an interesting thing because it's not quite the same thing as condoning. It's kind of in between condemning and condoning is glorifying maybe more on the condoning side, but not entirely there. So that is something when I think about like war stories um, and what counts as glorification, because explicitly depicting a war is not by definition glorification because wars do literally happen, right? And people do literally kill each other. And also some of the like heroic stories that come out of war, like they're not all necessarily false. There are people who will do things that they know are going to kill them in order to save their friends. Like there are people who in real life have, you know, sacrificed their lives lives for their for their friends. So it's not automatically glorification to talk about that stuff. However, there are times I've seen war movies or read war books where I get um, icky feeling. Icky feeling is like, it's an instinct in you. It's a, it's a feeling. It, it's a feeling before it's even a thought where you're just feeling like, hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you're feeling like there's a certain perspective in here that maybe is not matching what your perspective is. Yeah. But I think it's actually important to like go into that feeling instead of escaping it. So, you know, like my my initial response is, you know, I'm not glorifying war because I hate it. But then as I've done more and more research into experiences of veterans, like this is the part where it gets uncomfortable because you will find war veterans who talk about it like it is glorious. Like you will find people who have PTSD and have seen horrible things and say, 
that, you know, they would do it again in a heartbeat if they could. Like, you will find people who say things that feel like unthinkable to you, but are true for them. So at the same time as, you know, I'm not trying to glorify war, it is also true that many soldiers, including ones who have seen the darkest stuff and been through it, will still perceive war as being glorious in certain times. So for example, Carl Marlantes, who's the author of the novel Matterhorn, which is based on his own experiences as a lieutenant in the Vietnam War, he described the feeling of, you know, like blowing up an enemy bunker that has human beings inside it as feeling like scoring a touchdown in the moment that you do it. That's like Mm -hmm. a pretty obvious example of glorification, but like this is not coming from like a naive kid, but a a person who's actually done it and been there, which I haven't been. And that's why I think uh, context matters because, you know, you can show that like, we don't have to be dishonest and pretend that darkness doesn't have its appeal in some ways that destruction or nihilism isn't sometimes appealing. Like, we, we can be honest about that because, you know, like the die young, stay beautiful thing or, or war movies, like, they are real impulses that people have towards, like, the dark side of things, whether it's heroin addiction, whether it's war, blowing stuff up, drug dealing, gangs, any of that stuff. Like, there is a culture of glorification and people involved in those things often do glorify themselves because part of it is, you know, it's a coping mechanism. So that instead of what you're doing being not only horribly painful, but, you know, it doesn't also have to be meaningless because, you know, some of the worst suffering comes from when people believe their suffering to be meaningless and not for a greater cause. So I would say go into the discomfort and stop. Don't don't be out there being like, full stop, I'm not going to glorify it or I am going to glorify it, but actually read and listen to experiences of people who have who have been in that situation because you might hear things that go against your initial mm. um, assumptions and you have to stay in that discomfort for a while if you want to tell a good story. So ultimately, like I said, my overall perspective will shine through when you read the story. And I think by the end of it, you will have a sense of how I as a human being feel about war but that doesn't mean that every character perceives or understands it in the way that I do. And um, I don't want my story to come across as just a piece of like anti-war propaganda because it's not propaganda, it's art. And that means sometimes I have to adopt the voices and thoughts of people that I really disagree with. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point of knowing and understanding both as a reader and as a writer that the characters that are in a story do not all speak for the author um, and and just because there are characters who have a personality and have you know have done horrible things it doesn't mean that the author agrees and you know and and this is not limited to writing dark stuff this is a blanket thing as well never never assume that just because a character says something the in a story the writer automatically thinks that this is true but yeah i also think you know you you need to understand again both as a reader and as a writer that people are complex and you need to understand the reasons why people might do bad things or Um, commit atrocities or glorify certain aspects of violence that you don't agree with and know that you know the fact that there are explanations for this behavior be them psychologically or or context clues or whatever doesn't mean that the author is excusing that behavior or is accepting that behavior it's just is and to build good characters and to build good stories you need to have empathy or if not empathy but at least relatability to certain characters who are doing pretty dark things and and that does not mean glorifying it just means being human (laughs) and and knowing that these things exist and that they exist for a reason and you can disagree with them and the author maybe disagrees probably disagrees with them as well but it doesn't mean that they don't exist yeah and i i would say don't be afraid to have a character 
deliver a whole argument in favor of something that you as a human being find abhorrent. Yeah. Because that's actually part of writing is writing characters who are not like you. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I've had to just kind of get into this and get used to it. As I said, if you're feeling the discomfort before you run away from it, consider leaning into it a little bit further. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Do you have any recommendations for us this week? Yes. And I think this also perfectly matches the topic of dark stuff. Um, I'm just about almost finished the book Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It's a novel that's kind of like a modern retelling of David Copperfield, which is a Dickens book. And it's sort of about um, an orphan growing up in rural Appalachia and like um, opiate addiction and the abandonment of, of rural America by corporations. So it's it's quite dark and it's really beautiful. I'm almost done. Um, so that's the book I'd like to recommend. And I've also um, reading this a story that's just wrapping up called Gold and it's by Viscaria Fields on AO3. Um, and it's a alternate universe um, Patroclus and Achilles story. Great. Um, and also on the topic of dark stuff, I would like to recommend what is one of my all-time favorite books, um, Incendiary by Chris Cleave. So it was written in 2002 or 2003, I can't remember. Um, and it's set basically between 9-11 and the terror attacks that happened in London in 2005, I think. And it's uh, this sort of imagining of what it would be like to have a like terrorist attack of that scale in the UK prior to it kind of happening. Um, and it follows the story of this woman who her husband and her child die in the explosion. Um, and it's, it's about grief and about it's, it's, it's dark and beautiful at the same time. And it's, it has a lot of trigger warnings, uh, I think would be necessary, but it's, it's just gorgeous and the writing is absolutely gorgeous and, it's, I think it's writing that you're not really used to because the woman who is writing, is, who is the narrator of the book, is very lower class. So the language is very reflecting, reflective of that. But it's, it's done so well. And the book is written as a letter from her to Osama bin Laden. And it's just, it's, absolutely brilliant and it is one of my favorite books in the world and I could not recommend it more um so Lani where can we find you online I am at copper dash dust on AO3 and on Tumblr. And I am Pebbly Send on AO3 and Tumblr. And you can find the podcast if you have any feedback, suggestions, or topics. For next episodes, our ask box is always open. You can find us at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.